This is Black Girls Love True Crime, a true crime podcast told from the perspective of a Black girl. Hey people, welcome to another episode of Black Girls Love True Crime. It's your host, T. Welcome. So how is everyone doing today? I always say this like I'm talking to you guys, but of course you guys already know. You already know my scene. It's morning right now and I'm sitting in my car recording another episode. So as always, I feel like I'm chit-chatting with my people. Um, But it's so nice to be recording another episode. I hope that everyone um, has been safe. And, you know, since since you listened to the last episode, whenever that was, um, and so I'm glad to be recording another one to to bring another true crime story from the continent of Africa for for you guys to listen to. So today we are going to be in Namibia. Um, this is so interesting because like this is a country in Namibia. Like I don't hear very much about Namibia, and there's so many countries in Africa that I want to visit. Um, and like researching this, researching this. Um, this episodes for this podcast make me realize like there are so many places that I want to visit that I just want to know more about if anything but um we are in Namibia today so I'm gonna start off this and the way I'm gonna do this I'm gonna set the scene by um starting off with a I guess like I mean I guess one of the cases and then I'm gonna lead into into the killer um so on on June 13th 2007 a 36-year-old woman disappeared somewhere on Independence Avenue in Windhoek, Namibia. Three and a half days later, a mutilated female torso was found in a garbage bin next to Namibia's B1 Road. It had been professionally severed from the rest of the body and, and was itself dissected in two. For investigators, the torso was more than just a part of a corpse. It was proof that a dreaded unknown killer was back on the hunt. Um, And so this leads us to the killer or the serial killer that we're talking about today. And he was known as the B1 Butcher. Uh, I mean, I say he, but I guess it could be he or she. It's probably a he, though. Let's be real. So he was known as the B1 Butcher. And he's an unknown serial killer in Namibia, so he was never caught. Um, every time I listen to true crime stories, and the end is that the killer was never caught, caught. It just, you know, sends a chill down my spine because it really could be anyone. It could be someone. I mean, every everyone. It's someone's uncle or someone's dad or someone's brother. So it could be someone you're sitting next to on the bus. Someone you are, you know talking to right now your co-worker and that's really scary you know but so this was the 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 serial killer was popularly known as the b1 butcher um and he was an unknown serial killer in namibia he murdered at least five women between 2005 and 2007 um and all of the murders were related to the national road b1 Hence the name B1 Killer. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, about the B1 Killer. I mean, at least what we know, I, I guess, because we don't know who the killer is, we're going to talk more about the killings. And then we're going to talk about some suspects. Um, and, and that's really all we have. That's all we have to go for. 
for this one. So the name, like I said, the B1 killer got the B1 butcher, the B1 butcher. Um, that's that's actually what I had into the B1 butcher got his name from the Namibian media because of because all the all the murder victims had been found in close proximity to the B1 road, which crosses the country from north to south. And of course, you can guess what the butcher part starts for from how I started this epi- from how I started the story. The butcher part of the name stems from the professional way in which the bodies were dismembered. Every time I hear about serial killers that dismember bodies, I'm just like, yo, like, how sick do you have to be? Because I don't even know how sick do you have to be? Then how, sh- yeah, how really sick do you have to be? Because even cutting a chicken. Um, and I don't mean to, you know, compare a human body to chicken, but when I'm cutting up chicken um, to cook, it's a pain cutting through like the bones and I mean, trying to cut through where, you know, the bones aren't so that you can cut the flesh and cook the the chicken. This is going completely left, but please stay with me. Um, it's, it's so difficult. So for someone to be that de- dedicated to killing a human, human being and then dismembering them, it takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of strength and it just takes a lot of crazy, to be honest, to do all of that. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, so, so he professionally in the professional, professional way that he, the bodies were dismembered and apparently it was also referred to ha- as the Comas Ripper due to the regions where the bodies were found. And I know, I mean, here, because they say professional way that the bodies were dismembered, as someone who watches a lot of, you know, um, like, you know, behavioral analysis or like, what is it like, you know, when you when you listen to a profile for a killer, I guess if you find someone who professionally dismembers bodies, that may be someone who actually, you know, is either an actual butcher, so knows how to work with dismembering um, bodies or, you know, animals or someone in the professional, like in the medical profession who actually works with people and is very, knows how to surgically cut people. Um, so someone that, those, those were like, if you're going to do a profile, that's the way to look, I guess. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the murders. So um, body parts were found in June and July 2007 in the Comas region along the B1, um, like I started earlier. Um, the body parts were wrapped in garbage bags and they belonged to two different women. As far back as 2005, two similar unexplained murders of women occurred. And these two murders had subsequently also been blamed on the B1 butcher. Um, the head and um, an arm of the so far last victim was found in, like I said, like I started in, um, I mean, in August of 2007. Uh, so further body parts of the same victim were also discovered in September of 2007. And this woman has never been identified. Uh, and so... So in October 2007, investigators were helped by three senior serial murder detectives from the Republic of South Africa. However, this um, murder series was still never solved. They never found anything. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about the victims. All five of the B1 um, butcher victims were young or middle-aged women. 
two of the five women killed both in 2007 could not be identified, unfortunately. Um, the three, the other three women were Juanita Mabula, um, 21 years, murdered in 2005. Melanie Johns, 22 years, um, murdered in 2005. And Sana Helena Garrios, uh, who was 36 years old and um, murdered in 2007. Uh, and so some, I guess, victimology, all murdered women were colored Namibians, uh, I guess, Black Namibians. Um, each of the three identified victims were fluent in Afrikaans, Damara, which, um, or both. In addition, all victims' body parts showed signs of freezing or refrigeration, suggesting that they were in some sort of cold storage. Um, and then the method of killing, however, was different. Johns was strangled. Mabula was hit on the head with a blunt object. At least um, two of the three identified victims were clearly prostitutes working in the wind, wind, Windhoek downtown area. Um, and two of the victims, Johns and Goros, apparently knew each other well. So, I mean, it, it's so interesting. And I wonder, you know, when we talk about, I wonder if, you know, I'm sure if they brought maybe some other detectives or uh, units that were well-versed with serial killers, like, you know, units here in the U.S. who just have a ton more serial killers to work with, maybe they would be able to use this victim victimology to be able to pin down the suspect. Because I'm thinking about the fact that there's so many, I mean, even reading this, it's kind of like, I mean, I know it's not that much information, but it seems to be like, I've just watched a bunch of like, British procedurals on Netflix, so I swear that I am, uh, um, you know, I mean, I'm working for the BAU right now, but I'm like, okay, you already have some murders, you know, two women who 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 um knew each other very well. You know the district that some of the um women worked in, and so my thing is, if you're able to find um CCTV or if you're able to find um, re- recordings, are you able to pinpoint maybe someone, like any common person between all of these women and that person starts off as a suspect? I mean, I'm sure that this is something that all of all of these detectives already looked into, but this is just my thought process anyway. And so um, to talk, so let's see, uh, in, in 2000 and um, uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about the suspect. So in 2007, uh, German citizen Heinz um, Nerim was arrested because he was suspected of having raped a 29-year-old Namibian um, near that near Windhoek, which is where all of this happened the previous month. Um, he was also said to have tried to subsequently strangle women. He denied all the allegations, and in February of 2010, he was acquitted for lack of evidence. And he was also released from from custody. He ended up suing um, for damages against the Namibian government um, due to the ordeal that he had been that he had gone through, having been accused. Um, which is, man, it's like my guy, you still raped someone, but still, I mean, it's one. I, I guess I I guess I respect that if he wasn't the one who did this crime, but at the same time, you still did, you still raped a woman and you still tried to strangle another and you still try to strangle her. So it's not like you're a saint here, sir. Um, but, and then also in 2008, uh, Hans 
Hozoman from Rehoboth took his life after being implicate, implicated in the murders. So he had served a, a life sentence for two murders before and was only released in 2004. And so, uh, so let's see. <clears throat> Apparently, one of the victims, Garros, um, her DNA was found in uh, Hustleman's flat. And apparently, Hustleman's DNA was also found on a letter to the police concerning Mabula's murder, which, which was also one of the victims. But apparently, um, evidence was inc- inconclusive. I don't understand this. Um, so at that time, suspicions arose that... Um, so I don't get it. Let, let's back up. So from what I'm reading, two of the victims, in case you guys are not following, two of the victims, Garo's and Mabula. Garo's DNA was found in this guy's, this suspect, this suspect's um, flat. His, the suspect's name is Hans Hazelman. So her DNA was found in his flat. And then um, Mabula, uh, apparently his DNA was also found on a letter that was sent to the police consent concerning Mabula's murder. So this seems like if he's not the one, maybe he had something to do with it because he seems to be pretty connected to this murder. It's like how, I mean, so this is this is what I talked about the last time, right? That the fact that like, while there definitely is a lot of material and a lot of content um on the that happens true crime content that happens in the in in on the continent of Africa, there's just not enough reporting about it. So like a lot of my research is like just doing like going back and forth, going back and forth, trying to really figure out, okay, so how does this add up to this? Like the stories are like they just don't follow a sequence. There's not ample material on them or there's not ample like, you know, yeah, there's not ample content for me to be able to find so much. But so this doesn't add up to me. It's like this guy was, I guess, serving a life sentence already when when this was happening. Or maybe, okay, so he was serving a life sentence. Hmm. I don't know. He he was in jail when he committed, when he, when he, when he killed him, when he killed himself is my understanding. But he was somehow committed to the murders. But still, um, he was somehow connected to the murders. But still, um, there was no evidence found. So it was at this point that I believe that suspicion started to come up that maybe the B1 butcher might not have been a single person, but maybe it was one person who did it. And this is where, where you never, when you don't know who the killer is, there's possibility for copycats. You know what I mean? Like maybe one person killed the first girl and, you know, everyone had been trying to figure out who it was and they didn't find it. And then another person was like, oh, I'm just going to copy what this person is doing because they're going to tag it onto the B1 killer anyway and or the, the B1 butcher anyway, and it's not them. So it's really unfortunate because then you just never know who does what. Um, and so some of the aftermath, and this is where I, this is one of the things that I always like to read when there is some kind of murder or anything unfortunate, really, when you see people, communities come together in solidarity, um, and kind of like lift each other up. And, you know, I, I always like to hear that. So, um, or at least try to, try to do something to to push their community forward. So in July of 2007, the women, and I love, especially love when it's women that that push this movement as it usually is. But in 2007, women from Windhoek, Rehoboth, and 
Sumis Park published a joint open letter to the B1 butcher to provide information on the still missing body parts for decent burial for the murder victims. He was also told to hand himself over to the police. Clearly, that letter didn't work. But in 2010, a human head and an arm were discovered on a farm in Rehoboth, raising fear that the butcher might be active again. Um, a connection to the murders of the B1 butcher in this was, however, not considered likely because it didn't show many of the previous similarities. The body parts were not found near the highway and they were, they were burnt instead of frozen. Oh, my Lord. Um, the apparently murder series caused considerably considerable um, public criticism for the effectiveness um, and the efficiency of the Namibian police. Um, and and this is where this is where I said that you know I wonder if there just wasn't enough effort put into connecting this or like trying to find because even just reading little bits of information here and there on. Wikipedia, shout out to Wiki. Um, even reading little bits of information here, it feels like maybe there just wasn't due diligence done completely. Like it seems like maybe there are things that weren't connected or like there were leads that weren't sought um, by the police to be able to potentially get this killer. Um, but I mean, this was 2007. It's, this killer could still very well be at large and probably is. Um, so that's 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 what I got for today. I know it probably seems like it's a little bit all over the place, but that's what we have for Namibia today. Um, I still I'm gonna keep trying to find this all of this content as much as I can and keep publishing it for you guys to hear. And I know that over time, um, we're gonna get into a good rhythm of trying to you know fine tune, excuse me, how the stories are told. And like I've always said, and I'm going to keep saying, I'm going to try to say on as many as many episodes as I can, I can't wait till, you know, uh, audience, wherever you are, start to reach out with true crime content from the true crime stories from your communities, from your towns, from your cities, from your countries, um, from your neighborhoods, uh, that we can use as a segment um, on this on this on this podcast. I really look forward to that because I think that that's going to be what makes it really exciting. Because I I know there's just so much. Because like I said, the reporting um, for for a lot of um, things in Africa is just not it's not ample. So once again, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Love True Crime, um, and I will talk to you on the next one. Bye.